I know a lot of you are dog lovers. I mean, if you've got a cat, that's fine. That's, that's your own issue. But as far as the dog lovers out there, uh, the rest of us, I was, you got to get your dog out once in a while. And I decided to take our golden retriever, Rudy, out for a walk this morning. And, you know, out here in Colorado, you come across a lot of wildlife, which is, which is pretty cool. Sometimes it's far away. Sometimes it's a little closer. You always got to keep the dog on the leash, even though we're in the neighborhood. You see a rabbit and he thinks he can get it, but he's super slow, so he can't catch anything. And we do have deer that are a little bit bigger than him and pretty brave and not too scared. So you have to keep your distance there, especially if mama's got her little ones with her. Occasionally we'll step over a snake, but nothing too, too scary there. This morning we were on a walk and I saw an animal coming towards us and I thought it was a horse. You know, we do have a horse barn in the neighborhood and thought maybe one got loose and it was just trotting around like, Hey, I'll go for, I'll go for a run. And, um, as it got a little closer, I'm like, that's a pretty big horse. He's got huge ears. Well, he's about a hundred yards away. I'm like, that ain't no horse. That's a freaking moose. Yeah. There's a moose just trotting down the path, not far from us. And, uh, I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I'd seen a moose far away on a hike before, like in a lake, but not one that was kind of coming your way. And it was the size of a horse, if not bigger. So, of course, I just kind of stood there and told Rudy that he would be sacrificed if the moose came after us. And he just kind of trotted by us. He gave us a little look to stop, did stare at us for a little bit and kind of kept going. But I was like, wow, that is super cool. And I don't know what you do if a moose charges you. You know, I know if a mountain lion, you kind of have to get big and I guess I lift the dog over my head to make me look big. Or if it's a bear, you're just supposed to get in a ball and let it toss you around. Unless it's a grizzly bear, you're just probably going to lose that battle anyways. But a moose, I don't know. He didn't seem, luckily he wasn't too interested, but also not too scared of us either. So that would have been a game time decision and probably would not have a dog these days, uh, even though I do like dogs. Anyways, you have come across Finbis with Johnny B. My name is Johnny Bowen. I'm a certified financial planner, and what I try to do is give a little bit of financial education information each week and hopefully add some humor. Uh, I do have a blog I put out a couple times a month and uh, got a book coming out pretty soon that will put all these fabulous, smart, smart aleck financial ideas in one place. But uh, today, I thought I'd talk about the halftime report. Now, so any of you that are sports fans, if you're not a sports fan, I can't think of another analogy. So just play along. Halftime of any sport, whether it's football or basketball, hockey obviously has a couple of periods, but there's a break in the action. And typically at halftime, you got to make some adjustments. So I want to talk about halftime in the investment world. Like what, what has happened the first half of the year and what changes, if any, should you be making? Now, if you think about it from the sports world, and I'll just go back to, since it's not football season and baseball don't really have a halftime, talk about the Wimbledon final. Now, they don't have a halftime either, but the, the gentleman's final was Sunday morning, and uh, I'm a huge tennis fan, and uh, if any of you watched it, it was spectacular. You had 
the up-and-comer, Carlos Alcaraz, who's 20 years old, playing in only his fourth grass tournament up against Novak Djokovic, who is in his mid-30s, has 23 majors, won Wimbledon seven times, and has not lost on seven court at Wimbledon in 10 years. Well, Carlos comes out. The one thing about Carlos, a lot of these younger guys, he's got the entire package, the entire game. A lot of them fold in the big moment. So the first set, he gets smoked 6-1. And I'm like, oh, no, he's going to get routed by the Wiley veteran. Well, he wins the second set in a tiebreaker, beats him good in the third set, 6-1. And then he loses the fourth set, 3-6. And so it's the cool thing to watch in that is he had to make adjustments along the way. Carlos has a huge has forehand, a forehand, smacks that ball, smacks that um, but he also has an incredible touch around the net. And instead of just trying to go for every winner, he kept the ball in place. Uh, in play, he did try. And, he only had a couple of aces. Uh, his returns were not going for big winners. He was just trying to keep them in place and then slowly take advantage when he saw opportunities. Uh, it was a great final to watch. So even though it wasn't really uh, halftime changes, he made changes in each set and throughout the games that I thought were pretty darn spectacular for a young guy. So how does that have anything to do with investing? Well. Let me tell you, let me tell you, since you asked so nicely. Asked so nicely. Uh, I think that, I think that, let's talk about first the halftime, the halftime, the stock market, mainly the S&P 500. So what's, what's happened the first half of the year? Well, 2022, again, it's the S&P 500, which are the largest five largest companies in the U.S. I've said many times that a good representation of the U.S. stock market. They had a terrible, they had a terrible 2022. So historically, historically, a terrible year, one year, one year, one year, one year comes roaring back. That certainly happens the first half of this year. Uh, returning to a, returning a bull market, bull market, worst year since 2008. And it's considered a bull market when the market increases 20% from the previous, previous trough or the previous bottom, which happened in June 2022. So the market has been up 20%, lower percent, since then. Inflation, inflation fell to half of last year's peak, year's peak uh, in the Fed, which said raising interest, raising interest rates, rates must they pause their rate increase in June. They said they might have, they a, might have a couple more this year, year, so people we'll still, still, want, to still, still want to get inflation, get inflation under control, under control, control figure they keep, they keep jacking up the interest rates, which affects, which affect you know credit cards, credit cards, car payments, car payments, mortgages for some, people not spending as much, spending their much, and therefore inflation, inflation under control. Under control. Another thing, another first thing, happy first intelligence, intelligence. Hard for me, it's hard for me to say. It's for me to say. Artificial intelligence has captured investors' attention. attention. But there's really no, but there's really no proof as AI market on its own. Market on its own. And I did read an article. I did read an article that said uh, 70 percent uh, of the companies companies are earning earnings, earnings call earnings call 70 percent somehow mentioned ai and ai it didn't matter and they matter if they were packaging to packaging to uh, sellers couches or they were, or they were um, um, you know flipping burgers everybody mentioned every ai and how ai and how it's going to improve their business improve their business so who knows so who knows we'll see now going back to going back to i was really driving this morning it was the magnificent magnificent Seven. I'm just going to say the super seven. I can't say that very well. The super seven. The super seven. 
Apple, Microsoft, Apple, Microsoft, Microsoft Nvidia, Tesla, Nvidia, Nvidia, which is Meta, Facebook, which is Facebook, Amazon, Amazon and Alphabet, and which, Alphabet Google, which is Google. That drove that drove the Nasdaq forty two percent for the first half of the year. Nasdaq, and the Nasdaq is just another index that really tracks, that really tracks tech companies, and it is much more, volatile, is much more volatile than the S and P five hundred. But it's a pretty good uh, barometer. Uh, barometer of what's going on with the tech companies. Again, has a forty two percent this year. Got slaughtered last year, so it kind of makes sense that it might. Rebound. Those seven companies, seven companies Super Seven, Super as, I like seven as I like to call them, also make up also make up the S and P five hundred. The S and P five hundred for the year, not from last year, not from just starting January first, is over seventeen over seventeen percent for the first half of the year. That Super Seven, Super Seven companies that I just mentioned, they contributed seventy three percent first half the first half gains according to Bank of America. What does that mean? What does that mean? So let's go back. So let's go back. The S and P five hundred was up seventeen percent. Three fourths, three fourths of that seventeen percent was driven by only seven companies on the S and P five hundred. So, so JB, what are you saying? The other four hundred ninety-three companies were dogs. Well, not necessarily, but but not all of them contributed to the meteoric rise in the S and P five hundred this year. So it is concerning. You have a concentrated. Um, a few, few companies that are driving the market. Great. Well, that's great if you happen to own the index or own those companies. But also, it means well, what's going on with the other 400 plus companies? So some are doing okay, but they certainly didn't have the the growth that those did. Was really driving again the S and P 500. And then finally, one last thing: the dollar has dropped in value against the euro, which is a good thing unless you plan to travel. So, you know, the last couple of years, the dollar has been valued higher than the euro and a lot of other currencies around the world. And while that's good for us, if you travel to Europe, and all of a sudden your dollar buys you more. But the challenge is for our exporters, our manufacturers in the U.S. that export things around the world, it costs more for those countries to buy U.S. goods when our dollar is high, higher valued. So if you think about it, if our dollar is worth 130 euros, well then it's harder for them to buy as much of our stuff. But when the dollar starts to come down in value, which happens to currencies all the time, and right now they're about at parity, about one to one, then it makes it easier, more economical for companies to buy our exports, which is good for our economy. So while it's going to cost us a little more to travel, it's probably good for the overall economy. That certainly that market came down a little bit. All right, so. That is what's happened the first half of the year. So, what does that mean? What do you what do you do with that information? The market, the S and P five hundred, on average, over the last hundred years, averages a ten percent gain. Certainly, not every year does it go up ten percent. In some years, it goes down twenty percent, and then some years it's up twenty twenty five percent, like it's on pace for this year. But what do you do with that? Well, the biggest thing is you make halftime adjustments. Sometimes they're little. Most of the time, they're just little things here and there. If you were in a football game, you went into halftime and you were down by two touchdowns. Well, what are you going to do? Well, you you might have to pull your quarterback. You might just have to change your defense. Who knows? You got to make some pretty significant things to get back into the game. But if you're only down by a field goal at halftime, you might not make any big adjustments. You might just focus more on what you're doing right and try to implement that. 
if you have a portfolio, say at your retirement plan, certainly once or twice a year, you want to rebalance back to the original allocation that you have for the long term. So what does that mean? So let's say that you're 30 years old and your 401k is 70-30. It's a growth portfolio. And what that means is 70% of your portfolio is in equity type investments. So it's in an ETF that invests in the U.S. stock market. It's in an ETF or mutual fund that invests in Europe. It's in one that invests in emerging markets. So all of those equities are covered. So 70% of your portfolio is geared towards higher growth, higher risk, higher reward, hopefully. And then 30% might be more in fixed income or bonds. So that's a 70-30, kind of a growth, growth type portfolio. Well, last year, that 70% probably dropped down in value instead of your, so your 70-30 by the end of the year might've been 65-35 because your stocks went down, your bonds went up. So what would have been prudent to do at the beginning of the year was to rebalance and get it back to 70-30. So you would have sold some of the things that had gone up on the fixed income side and then bought some things that maybe were on sale in the equity side. So get it back to 70-30, which is very easy to do in your 401k or retirement plan. There's, there's usually a, uh, a way to rebalance and you don't want to do it every month, certainly not every week, maybe once or twice a year rebalance. Well, now same thing halfway through the year, the market is up 17%, the S&P 500. So your overall equity portfolio, part of your portfolio is probably up. So if you were 70, 30 at the beginning of the year, you might be 75, 25 now. So if you wanted, you could rebalance back down to 70, 30 and just kind of keep that trend going. You don't want to do it very often. You don't have to rebalance back down to 70-30, but you don't want to let it run out of control and get to 80-20 or 90-10 because the more equity you have, the more risk you take on. So I think always a good halftime adjustment is just be aware of what you own. You know, understand what you own and make some adjustments along the way. And again, rebalancing in your retirement account or other portfolio is always a good idea, idea to do at least once a year, um, sometimes twice a year. If you have no idea what the heck I'm talking about, then find someone who can help you. You know, maybe it's a really, that really cheap aunt that lives in the middle of a Kansas, you know, go find her and maybe she can help you. Maybe it's an advisor. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your kid who is in the business. Find that person and see who can help you get back on track. And don't overthink it. I have no clue what is going to happen in the markets in the next six months or the next 12 months. And neither does Jim Cramer on CNBC or any other talking head or podcast or radio or those of you who listen to it or anybody that's on TV. But a lot of people like to talk about what they're going to do. They've been talking about having this recession the impending soft landing for the last 12 months. Well, it hasn't really happened. Although I heard someone on uh, satellite radio the other day say, well, maybe you already had a recession. I'm like what? I think we would know if we had it. Well, there's a lot of, there are headwinds, but the market has still done pretty darn well the first half of this year, but coming into the second half of the year with interest rates have been so high, that's going to start to filter into, companies' earnings. 
So I think you'll see that in the third quarter that they may be affected. They may be lower. And then we're starting to go into the election cycle. God help us. Um, you've got these two octogenarians that are going to be running for the top office in the world. If that isn't frightening, I mean, I mean, I think the only good thing is they might be having their debates at three thirty in the afternoon, you know, right before the early bird special. So maybe we can get that out of that way, but you know, just go play pickleball or golf and get off of our TVs. That's, that's my opinion. Surely with 350 million people, we can find some qualified candidates, but, uh, we shall see. Anyways, that's my political comment of the show. So I don't know what's going to happen as far as the second half of the year. So you don't want to overthink it. You do want to make those minor adjustments, rebalance back to the allocation that you have set. And if you don't feel like the allocation is right, there's plenty of tools to understand what is the time frame for your portfolio? How old are you? What is your risk tolerance? And then get the right allocation and then just keep contributing to it you know, each, each paycheck if you can. So along those lines, I stumbled across another article that I wanted to, to just touch on, which I thought was pretty darn interesting. So bankrate.com sounds like a fascinating website to, to read. Although I do find a lot, they do do a lot of good surveys. So they had recently had a survey and it said that 74% of Americans have a financial regret. And the most frequently uh, reported financial regret is not saving for retirement early enough. Not how much to save, but it's just not starting early enough. So three in four adults have a financial regret. And the most common one is, I wish I'd have started earlier. And, and I totally get it. If I look at the financial regrets I have, well, there's a couple of them, uh, first of all, but they all turned into pretty good lessons. But so in college, I um, had to have the latest mountain bike because I was in that mountain bike Mecca uh, in the middle of Kansas. So I bought a mountain bike on a credit card with no money. Uh, that credit, that bike, I paid $500 and I paid about $1,000 in interest. And so it cost me about $1,500 over a five-year span. Not a great financial decision, but um, taught me a lot about credit cards. So maybe it wasn't terrible. There's also some stocks that I bought early in life. I bought Microsoft soon after I got out of college. I mean, it was maybe $1,000 worth of it. So it wasn't a whole lot of amount, but it was to me at the time. And then the dot-com bubble started to happen in 99 and 2000. Microsoft uh, went in the toilet, so I sold it because I couldn't stand losing money. That was also a very good lesson. I didn't really lose much on it, but obviously it might be worth a little bit more if I had held on to it. It wasn't a whole lot, so who knows, but it was a good lesson. You know, some of the other things that... Um, you know, financial regrets, my biggest one, I would agree, is not saving enough early enough. Um, I've always contributed to my retirement plan for, for my wife and I, but and I did start early, but I was not maxing it out in my 20s. Now, I get it. If you're in your 20s and 30s, you're in your first job, you got a spouse, you got some little people running around, you got a dog that's chasing moose. I get it. It's, it's hard to... Um, put money into that account, but it's very important to get that compound interest going early. You start putting in in your early 20s, max out as much as you can, you will have plenty by the time you get to retirement. 
So it's interesting, the Gen X population, which is me, that is the number one regret for Gen Xers, not saving for retirement early enough. And uh, it's probably the easiest thing you can do to help with your, your long-term financial success starting early enough. A couple of the other bullet points that were big financial regrets, uh, not having a, an emergency uh, bank account, emergency account for things that come up that you don't expect, hence the name emergency. One of the top regrets for millennials, you know who you are, is taking on too much credit card debt. And I will tell you, after I bought that mountain bike 35 years ago, um, I have never had credit card debt. Just won't allow it. Can't stand it. And uh, I'd still have that bike today. It doesn't really work very well, but um, I keep it there just to remind me. One of the other big regrets for Gen Z and millennials is uh, certainly taking on too much student loan debt. And I, I think that's that's kind of unfortunate because I don't think it's entirely your fault. I've mentioned this before. You know, I'm, I'm not here to give financial advice and past performance is no guarantee of, of future results as you always hear because everyone's situation is a little different. But taking on too much student loan debt wasn't entirely your fault because college is too expensive and money is just thrown at you to pay for college. So where you're in school, you're like, all right, well, I'll just get it all and I'll worry about that later. So that's that's too bad that that has happened to a lot of people and who knows if they're going to wipe some of that out. I think they're going to try, but I think the whole college system is going to be revised in the next 10, 20 years. It has to. And one other financial regret that is a big one for Gen Z and millennials is buying more home than you can afford. And that certainly was the case, you know, when interest rates were three, four percent, you know, and you try and get as much home as you can. And a lot of times if you have the you know, incomes to justify a pretty big mortgage, you know, whoever is lending you the money is say, you know, stretch yourself, put as much as you can in there. Well, the challenge is one of you, a spouse or someone loses a job and all of a sudden you're in, you're in a world of hurt. So buying more home than you can afford is, is certainly a big one. And, and I've run up against that in my, my life, you know, kind of stretching things more than I felt comfortable, but eventually it worked out, but it's, it's not a good feeling. It makes it hard to sleep at night. Then the final bullet point that I'll mention is the 20% of the people polled said they have absolutely no financial regrets. <laughs> I think that is BS. I don't believe it. Everybody has some financial regrets, even if it was, you know, dating that one dude that was a financial disaster, you know, that's kind of a financial regret, but, um, you know, maybe it's buying, that car that wasn't very good, or it was just having too many credit cards or whatever the financial regret was. I guarantee you that everybody has something. So I don't believe that one, but one in five people say they have absolutely no regrets. Well, good for you, Sparky. Way to go. All right. Well, hopefully that was helpful. I think, you know, the halftime report is always a good way to kind of step back and look at things and, you know, really evaluate where you are, make some minor adjustments, there are things going on in the economy and market that are kind of scary, and but it's not scary enough that you would ever want to get out of the portfolio or, or make a huge change like that because you never know when things are going to turn around. So sometimes it's just better to buckle down and, and keep plowing money into there. And, uh, you know, in the long run, you'll, you'll be happy that you did. All right. 
next podcast, we're going to jump into identity theft. And we talked about this a couple of months ago with with my nephew, Tate, old cyber Tate. Maybe I'll get him back on, but uh, some things have popped up and I really want to address, you know, how do you avoid it? And uh, how do you just stay on top of things? All right. Hope that was good. Get out there and see some wildlife. Over and out.